I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. With me this week is my man, Ethan Bear. Uh, you might have heard Ethan on this show before. I think this is his fourth and hopefully not final appearance. Ethan is the head of electronic music at Create Music Group. If you don't know Create, they are this year's number one fastest growing company on the Inc. 500. Um, and Ethan's been with us uh, as a guest when he was the founder of EDM.com, as well as as a co-host. Uh, he helped me interview Blake Coppelson from uh, the Proximity Channel, as well as the trans god Gareth Emery. So we're, we're excited to have Ethan back. He, um, he kind of flipped the script on me. He had some questions he wanted to ask me. And so this is one of our rare reverse interviews where someone else comes on and asks me a bunch of questions. And so we're talking about leadership, entrepreneurship, and... Um, and he asked me a question at the end of what I thought it means to be a rebel. Now you would think as a guy who's uh, branded himself the rebel, I've founded four companies with the name Rebel in them. You would think I had a really good answer off the top of my head and I didn't. Um, I kind of gave a generic something about, you know, someone who doesn't uh, settle for the status quo, which is true. But I, I started thinking about that after I hung up with Ethan and um, I think I could do better. So here goes. Did you know that as recently as the 1930s, most homes did not have electricity? In fact, the people that worked for Thomas Edison at General Electric, whose job it was to go sell electricity for home use, faced tremendous objections. They, you know, people couldn't imagine why they needed electricity in their homes. They didn't have any electrical appliances. And they, they thought, they, you know, we've lived for thousands of years without electricity. Why do I need it? And, you know, it's interesting because they just couldn't envision how that could be relevant to their lives because it was a new idea that didn't exist yet. And I think that's a good metaphor for what rebellion is all about. You know, when we think of rebellion in the cultural context, certainly on this show, we think about you know, poor kids from dangerous ghettos spitting lyrics about sex and violence that upset their parents and the authorities and went on to change the world. We think about ravers on drugs all night ruining their brains and violating what we think of as the rules of good music. And over time, what happens is we see those ideas go from a really small and subversive group to, you know, bubbling up through the mainstream and then becoming commonplace. So every time we challenge the status quo, we're committing a rebellious act. The internet, the automobile, the mobile phone, those are all rebellious ideas that at one time were, were considered subversive. 
even entrepreneurship, right? If you think back in history, wealth was supposed to be inherited and the merchants, the business people that were creating their own wealth were looked down upon. Um, we're having these cultural moments at this time with ideas like Black Lives Matter, like the fact that women should be equal in the workplace. Those are rebellious ideas that are in different stages of becoming mainstream. And we're going to look back on those at a certain point, the same way we do all these other things and just understand that that's the way it is. And, you know, we, we sort of forget the struggle that it takes to get there. So this show, Rebel Radio, is um, it's a celebration of that struggle. It's the, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're trying to highlight the people that are, that are bringing their crazy ideas into the world until they start to catch on. We're not only doing that, but we're, we're trying to create a playbook, right? We want to encourage, to inspire, to make it easier for you to pursue your own rebellious ideas, to bring your change into the world. We want to arm you with the stories from people who have done it before you and have learned the things that you need to know. So uh, with that, let's get into the interview with Ethan Bear. Let me know what you think. I'm kind of just around, but if you, you want to cover it. Yeah, you have, a, you have a topic you want to cover? You know, I want to do those short, I want to do the short single topic episodes. Okay. But I just haven't got around to it. you interviewing me or me interviewing you? I don't know. What do I have to say? I don't Let's see. Okay. I got it. So <clears throat> tell me a little bit about how you realized that leadership as a concept was something that you're interested in. At what point in your career did you realize that? Oh, seriously? We're going to, we're going to start with this and like do it yeah. for real. That's interesting. <laughs> um, that's good. I like this. This will be a test of my freestyle abilities. Right. I think um, in some ways I was always fascinated by great leaders, you know, just growing up, studying, I don't know, history or politics or whatever that, that you know, the ability to, to move people, whether it was through music or your, your art or as a sports hero or whatever, I think I was always fascinated and drawn to that, like I think a lot of people are. Um, I definitely never thought about what it took to become that and until I was running a company. And so... Um, was that you know, Yeah, so, so, I, um, so I had, yes, I had started Rebel in, in 99 um, and we went from, you know, two people to 25 in about, I don't know, in a couple of years, not that fast on, uh, in tech startup, you know, standards, but, um, but for a little thing that we were just kind of doing without much of a plan, like all of a sudden we had this real company and, and HR issues and, you know, employees <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, and I think, you know, at the time I kind of like, didn't realize that that was a, a weakness or a, or a blind spot for me. Um, I guess that's the nature of blind spots is you don't know they're there. Um, until so I was just confronted with those things on a daily basis. And so I think what happened is it became a real drain on me, on my employees. Um, and then finally our clients kind of noticed and, you know, we started having issues with some of our clients, not, not all of them, but some of the stuff sort of bl bled, from one side of the business to the other. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it was a, you know, it wasn't one moment when I woke up, but it was a series of steps. It was one, you know, realizing that I hated getting up and going to work every morning, even though I was the boss and I was supposed to be uh, the one that, you know, got everyone else excited. Right. right. And, um, and then two, kind of realizing that I couldn't just sell my way out of it that it wasn't just about going and getting more clients mm. and then, then everything else would kind of take care of itself, which I probably would have said, I probably would have told you that, you know, 20 years ago that if you just keep selling, like the rest works itself out, which is not true. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the third part, so I had a partner, right. And we were close friends. Um, 
And then, you know, into the business, we kind of learned that we didn't really like the way the other did business. Um, and I, you know, I say not that one was right and one was wrong. We just had different styles and, uh, and they weren't really that compatible. And, and, you know, we didn't have, I think now I have a different level of emotional maturity for, for handling that. But, um, but the short version being, you know, we ended that partnership. And so I had the opportunity to kind of restart the company in a way. And, um, and it occurred to me that I should do that. Uh, that, that was, that was my window of opportunity to kind of start becoming the kind of leader that I wanted to be, as opposed to just falling into a role without thinking about it. Was there something that made you kind of realize that or had you kind of been realizing it up to that point and that was like the opportunity to have a clean slate? I think for me, there's um, sometimes you find a book, sometimes you read a book and it's like exactly what you needed to hear at that moment in your life. Um, <clears throat> so that I don't, now, now I'm trying to remember what that book was, but you know, it could have been something like the seven habits of highly effective people, sure. which I had read years earlier and I'm sure reread. Um, uh, but like but I think books or something. Yeah, uh, could have been something like that. I don't I don't know. So I, I don't know that there was one thing, mm -hmm. but I think um, I think you know those. I don't know. There I find there's points. You know, Seth Godin is an author who I read a lot, and he always says everything that's on my mind at that time, right? And he just like he um, he does a good job of eloquently presenting my thoughts mm -hmm. back to me. Did you know he do I mean? it? No, that was Jim, somebody. Uh, Jim, maybe which one, which ones are Seth Godin? Is that a uh, tribes? Seth Godin's tribes, uh, yeah, position marketing, yeah, got um, it. the dip. Uh, so there was actually interesting. I actually had a client who gave me a copy of the dip, which says, that everyone who's good at something and tries to be become great at it hits a dip, mm -hmm. right? That it's not this straight line up to being better and better, that there's a, there's a peak and a, or there's a plateau and a valley that you then have to climb back up. And on the other side is where greatness happens. And mm -hmm. greatness is where, you know, most of the rewards are reserved for the people that are the best at what they do. Right. And, and so, you know, his argument was like, if, if things are feeling really hard, then that means you have a decision to make about either it's time to give up because what you're doing, because you're doing the wrong thing for you, or it's time to push through mm. and, and get better and more successful at what you do. And so like, that's a book that I read at the right time for me when I was kind of wrestling with a bunch of those questions. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Check it out. This episode of Rebel Radio is brought to you by Indeed. I mean, what a crazy year for hiring. A lot of companies are, uh, what would you say, reverse hiring, but some are hiring. And if you're in that position, you need the right tools. I've done it. I've hired for my own company. I've hired for other companies. And when, when your tools aren't straight, everything is just a mess. It takes longer and you don't end up with the right people. So Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, plus powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are more likely to result in a successful hire. Over 3 million businesses are using Indeed. If you're hiring in 2020, you should be one of them. Right now, Indeed is offering Rebel Radio listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com rebel. That's their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com rebel. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30.
What do you think was kind of the first, uh, what was like the first maybe major lesson that helped you kind of with that pivot of like, okay, you're coming out of this, out of this valley of leadership, right? What do you think were some of kind of the first, um, what were some of the first major steps that you kind of realized that you had made in the right direction? I think there were two things. One, um, one was I, you know, I realized I could do things my way. And, you know, I, I have this, um, I think before then I'd had this idea that there's, there's the right way of running a business and then there's everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And that if you wanted to be successful, you had to learn the right way, whether that's going to Harvard business school or whether it's, you know, whatever path that is, but there's, that there's a clear kind of right and wrong. And I think, you know, what I've learned since then, and, and so in that moment, what, what I came to realize or over probably a two year period was I came to realize my job was to create the right company for me to run. Mm -hmm. And that's very different than, you know, than another company, right? Or, or a different leader has a different style. And, um, and so, the, you know, I, but I realized that the, the journey was about embracing your own style and, building a system around that. Um, at the same time, I was, um, I had an employee years earlier who had made a comment. We had like an annual review and that's when like, we were just learning how to do reviews. They were horrible. These are like um, performance reviews. Performance reviews. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> which, you know, if you, now if you study this kind of thing, like, performance reviews are largely unproductive. No one likes them on either side. They're um, demotivating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They, they achieve often the opposite of what they're intended to do. So, uh, but anyway, so I had one of those that was definitely uh, achieving the opposite of what we'd hoped. Mm. And, and I had a Yeah. Okay. And she said something in a very, um, you know, nicer than this sounds. But she, she made an observation that she said, you know, it feels like you treat your employees as if we're all replaceable, as if um, there's, you know, if we don't want to do the job, you'll just find someone else to do it. And, you know, and, and I had a, it took me a while for that to sink in. And, you know, because... I think one, I don't, I don't remember my reaction in the moment, um, but, you know, I think to some extent that's true. We're all replaceable, myself yeah. included, right? And so I think there's a little bit of, um, that's just the, you know, hard facts of life. Right. It's like At that the same time. That there's that saying that like the number one thing you should do when you start any new job is find ways to make yourself irreplaceable. Yeah, although actually I was reading a book this morning and said the number one thing, the, the biggest part of your job is to replace yourself. <laughs> which I, which I, reading different books. <laughs> which I wholeheartedly believe, right? Like I think being irreplaceable is actually a fallacy. Sure. Um, then you're, and, then you're like a bottleneck. Yeah, and, and you will be replaced anyway, either by a machine or by layoffs if your company you know, right. can't survive without you, then it probably can't survive at all long-term. Um, and so, so, so I think that's, um, but, you know, but anyway, but what hit me later as I was going through this sort of reinvention was um, I don't want, whether it's true or not is irrelevant, but I don't want anyone coming to work feeling that way on a daily basis. Right. Right. Because that is uh, shitty on a human level and it's also not going to be productive. Right. And that and that people are, are at their most productive when they feel a combination of challenged and needed and or valued. Right. And um, and so that's kind of what I learned in that period was that that was my job as a leader was to provide people with with the right balance of challenge and support. I love that.
What do you think, uh, what does it mean to create that balance? Like, what does that look like? Well, for me, it's, um, it's a, it's giving people the opportunity to rise to the challenge, right? Which means that, you know, I, I've, I've been, um, uh, what's the word? You know, I've been described by people that have worked for me as like, you know, when you go to Josh with a question, he never gives you the answer. <laughs> but he asks you. That's how I know you too. <laughs> yeah. Like he asks, you know, he asks questions to help you figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so and you know, so I believe that everyone that I've ever worked with is more capable than they think they are. Mm. And that um and that my su most successful relationships with people have been when I've helped them to realize their capability that they didn't know they had. Right. And so um so I think a big part of my job is getting obstacles out of people's way to do their best work, um, including myself as an obstacle. Right. And so if I'm, if I'm answering too many of their questions for them and not letting fig them figure things out on their own, that's a problem. So I have to get that out of the way. Um, and you know, sometimes those obstacles are external. Sometimes they're bureaucracy or their client approvals or their, um, you know, interpersonal, disagreements, whatever, like some of that right. stuff. Right. So, so it's helping people sort through that at the same time, continuously building people up, building their confidence, right. Letting them know that they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in the job if I didn't believe in them. Right. Um, and that, uh, and that, you know, even more than that, that the, that the challenges they're facing are solvable. And if they will listen to themselves and the, and use the information that's available to them, they probably have access. They, they, they already know or can find the solutions. Right. Is it ever, is it ever frustrating for you feeling like you need to ask questions to help people kind of come to the solution on their own when you want to just give them the answer? <clears throat> I think I've gotten over that. Hmm. I Do you think, think that at one point? Well, yeah, and and you know, and that's a common thing I hear from people in in leadership positions, senior people, right? Is that like I don't have time, right? Like, yes, it would I be great. Saying that, so of course. And so here's, and and you're right. You you know you're right, but the problem with that is that when you when you solve other people's problems for them they never learn how to do it. Right. So it's actually wasting more of your time. <laughs> right. And so then you're always having to do it. Right? right. And so if you go back to what I said earlier, that your job is to replace yourself. Right. And so I think of it this way, that um, it's very much, you know, a simple analogy is climbing a ladder, right? Like you can't get to the next rung until you step off of the last rung. Sure. Right. And so um, whatever you're doing today, you know, if you think about having bigger responsibilities, whether that's just, you know, bigger budgets, more people reporting to you, uh, bigger projects, you know, whatever it is, whatever the things that, that you see in your future that you're not doing today, there is no way you can add those things without giving something else up unless somehow you're working 20 hours a week right now and you right. just have, right? But assuming that you're working full time, it's it's literally impossible to achieve bigger things without getting rid of smaller things right and and every smaller thing for you is a bigger thing for someone else who's at a different stage of their development True. and so so it's it's very possible to create this virtuous cycle where um you're letting people stretch up towards the level that you're at now and that enables below you <laughs> yeah and below you doesn't you know it doesn't have to mean you know that's that stuff sometimes has negative connotations right like, I, I believe it's a it's a learning opportunity for them and for you it really is more of a time waster when someone else could be learning from it well you've already learned it right right, right. so whenever you're doing something that you've already learned that means you're not learning something new 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so if our goal is to learn is, is to grow, like, you know, I've, as you know, you know, I've been doing some recruiting for the past couple of years. I didn't meet one, but, you know, I asked everybody, probably 600 people, uh, you know, what are you looking for in your next job? And everyone said growth. Wow. You know, 500, Consistently, 580 like- out of 600 people said wow. growth. And so now I think a lot of people. Career growth or whatever. Some of it depends. Like, and, and, you know, some people knew what that meant and some didn't. Sure. Right. And so I, I asked a question that, uh, uh, whenever, whenever I interviewed someone who seemed really smart and really like together or, you know, very self-confident, I would ask the question, what do you want to learn next? And very few people knew the answer to that. Nice. Um, what was the best that, that's, thing that? Or um, <clears throat> I mean, some people had specific skills, mm. right? I want to learn, you know, I've been working in records. I want to learn music publishing or I want to learn, um, you know, ad buying, like, you know, so tangible, specific things. I think that was the exception. Um, you know, for other people, it's a bit more nebulous. I, you know, I want to learn more about managing people. I want to learn um, more, you know, I've been at a small company. I want to learn what it's like at a bigger company, like yeah. things like that, which, I mean, that's fine. There's not, there's not a right answer to that question. And there's frankly not even a wrong answer. But if you're telling yourself that the most important thing in your career right now is growth, and you don't have a clear picture of what that looks like other than more money or a bigger title, right? Like money and titles should be the result right. of the work that you're doing. Um, and so you should, it, it's probably in your interest to figure out what that looks like. Yeah, hundred <clears throat> percent. So what is, um, what is, what is your uh, goal in terms of growth? Um, I want to, I, I guess I'll answer it in a couple ways. Um, in terms of learning, I want to learn more about direct to consumer brands. Um, because, you know, my, my whole career, most, almost my whole career has been in traditional brands, whether that's in entertainment, meaning an artist signed to a label sells to a streaming service and then it gets a consumer, right? Like that's a very traditional right. model or a you know, beer company who makes beer, sells it to a distributor, sells it to the store, sells it to the consumer, right? Like right. that's the same path regardless of what industry you're in. And that's been most of my work. And, you know, I've gotten good at that and, and, you know, managing that. But I think, you know, now more than ever, we're seeing brands built with direct relationships to consumers. And I think it's a different, it's a different animal, right? And it's something that I don't have that much experience in and I want to learn. So uh, that's kind of, you know, one level I would look at it. I think the other um, level is you know, I've pretty much only been a business owner my whole career. Um, even that sometimes the business was just me. Um, right. But I've either been just a solo or I've, or I've had and managed a team, you know, because of that. And because of some other personality flaws, like I haven't had a lot of mentorship, Mm. um, or I've had, or I've had indirect mentorship, right. You know, people like Paul Stewart, who you met, who, um, you know, I think we would both say we've been mentors to each other in different ways. He actually um, did that exactly. Yeah, but not in any formal way. Like we just like and respect each other and help each other out. And, you know, um, and, and I've always found like I, I love, you know, I, I love mentoring and, and uh, teaching in all forms because just selfishly, I think it makes me smarter. Right. And, and there's nothing like helping someone else figure out their problems where you don't have a stake in the outcome. So it's like a workout. Yep. Right. And I, and I, you know, I love like, um, I love sports analogies as they really 
relate to business and leadership, except they fall down because athletes practice 90% of the time and compete 10%. And in business and in life, we very rarely get to practice. Um, right. We, we, we very rarely get to just work on our skills without having to be attached to the outcome. And I think that's so important. Um, so sorry, what were we going to ask? I was going to say, do you think there's something to the idea that people that didn't have mentors make good mentors or are you just a, you're just a, an anomaly? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I think, you know, I think a good mentor is, is specific to the situation, right? Meaning, um, I think there's a personality that uh, certainly contributes though. Like well, being the type of person that understands that they like imparting knowledge and that they learn from that is sure. sort of a, I don't want to say super rare, but it's not as common as you might think, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I think, but, but, you know, that's a, um, what do they say? The best way to learn something is to teach it. Right. Yeah, and so, I so I think there's something in it, you know, for, for everybody in, the, in that type of relationship. So, so I haven't had much of that. And, um, some of that again is personality and some of it's, uh, the fact that I've sort of been, you know, on my own or, or with the partner, um, but never truly kind of been part of a team. Hmm. So I'm also trying to figure that out and, you know, whatever form that takes, but that's become, I think, more important to me, uh, as I've learned, you know, as I've started learning the value of teamwork and understanding that, you know, there's very little that can't be better achieved by a team than by an individual. Sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. I want to talk to you about Fiverr. You know, for 2020, there's no such thing as business as usual. Every company I know, every company you know, is figuring out new ways of getting things done. We're working remote. Some companies are downsizing. All the events are moving to virtual. Even this show, we used to record every episode face-to-face. -face. Now we're doing video chat, phone chat, etc., etc. If you own a business, pivoting quickly is hard enough, but finding the right people that you can trust to make it happen, that's the key to success. Fiverr is a great freelancing platform that helps you find talent to build your online presence fast. Whether it's building your first website, designing social graphics, you got to have the right people and getting the wrong people is disruptive to your business. So Fiverr lets you hire freelancers who have proven track records and clear pricing. You're not in the dark. You're not haggling. It just makes everything easier. Use Fiverr to connect with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services from graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, uh, pretty much anything you need done that can be done remote, which is, as we've learned, is everything uh, you can do on Fiverr. You can work with confidence, knowing exactly what you're paying for upfront. The payments are released to freelancers once you've approved the work. They have 24-7 customer service, so anytime you have an issue, Fiverr is there to help you. Find talent today at fiverr.com and get 10% off your first order using our code rebelradio. All the digital services you need are in one place at fiverr.com, code rebelradio. Again, that's fiverr.com, code rebelradio. All right, so back to something that you said earlier. Uh, you were talking about working with a friend and your, your mm. first partner at Rebel and how that was a complicated complicated situation. What do you sure. think about the idea of working with friends? You know, there's common knowledge that says a good friend is often the best business partner. And then there's also yeah. things like never work with a friend. It'll ruin your friendship. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested on your, your opinion on that. Yeah. So I've worked with friends many times in my life and I, I would love to have, uh, I would love to say that my rule in life is, uh, don't work with strangers. But it's not. I work with strangers all the time. And, you know, um, although, although, you know, I try as much as I can to turn those people into friends. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and so because, you know, you because I think the most important thing in any relationship is trust. 
right? And the more we know someone and feel connected to them, the more we trust them. That's just right. the way it works. So, um, and, and I think, you know, you develop a shorthand that uh, enables things to move faster and, and, you know, with less friction. So I'm all for that. I think, you know, the issue and, and our friendship um, is, you know, as strong today as it was when we were partners, maybe stronger because we don't have business arguments, right? And so right. it's- You're talking about um, the guy. The yeah, yeah, Raymond, right? So, and I've worked with other friends and, and I've, and I've, that's never, um, that's never been an issue for me. Um, and in fact, I had the opportunity to work with a friend recently um, and we had a very uh, direct conversation up front that said, look, if there's any chance that this business relationship would hurt our friendship, let's just not do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And whatever the money or whatever we stand to gain in business is not worth uh, compromising our friendship. So we had, you know, a 20 minute conversation where we kind of walked through some scenarios and well, like, what if this happens? It's like, right. then, okay, we're still, we're still good. Right. Or, and, and for a few months or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> Or, or not even that. I mean, um, and in fact, our business relationship ended and we went uh, for a hike the very next day. Like, it's not that. Um, and again, that's for me, like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really hold grudges. I don't, um, you know, I don't have a sense that people are do things to me. I think people do things for their own reasons and, and whether I'm in the way or not is sort of not. Right. That's irrelevant. So, um, uh, but, you know, what I will say to your question is that, you know, we got into the relationship partly because we had some compatible business ideas and partly because we were friends. And I think what we overlooked in that was all the ways that we were not complimentary. Mm. Which, some of which we may not have been able to see just at that stage of, you know, I was in my twenties. Um, he was probably, you know, in his early thirties and we just hadn't, we just hadn't seen enough to know kind of what some of the pitfalls were. Um, but now I think, you know, when I, when I think of partners in any, in any definition, right. I think that the right partner for me is, um, two things. It's one, it's someone who's good at the things that I'm not. And I'm good at the things that they're not. Um, right. So you're looking for pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. You're the more overlap, the worse, right? Where you need to overlap. And then the flip side, the, where you need absolute overlap is values is, you know, kind of outlook on, you know, is philosophy of running a business, the vision, um, for sure. So you need like almost complete overlap in those areas or as much as possible. And you need almost no overlap in skill sets okay. and, yeah. and interests. And, um, and we were sort of, what's that? I said, that's where a lot of the conflict comes from is when you both, when you have overlapping skill sets and it's like, ah, oh, my way, your way. Yeah. Or it becomes like this thing over here that neither one of us is good at is just not getting done. Sure. <laughs> and then there's a gaping hole in the business there. Right. So um, there was that. Uh, and, you know, you see that a lot. Right. You see it a lot in creative partnerships. You see it a lot in. Um, in. Uh, oh, I forget what else, but but you, you see a lot. Right. Where, where people are good at the same things. And so that's what attracts them to each other. Um, so, you know, if it's a bunch of engineers starting a tech startup, right? Like, well, who's going to run the business and the marketing and the finance right. and all that stuff, right? The class um, kind of founder, founder led. Company. Yeah. And, and, and in an in entertainment business, it's the same thing, right? Like it's a couple of A&R guys start a label and no one no knows one that. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, so I think it has to be. It, it has to be people that have complementary skill sets, not not the same skill sets. Hmm. Interesting. I would say, from from my experience, 
I think all of my best business relationships are with friends. And like, mm -hmm. that's where I enjoy doing business the most is when you're doing good business with someone that you are close with. But I would 100%. say my worst business situations were also trying to do business with friends. So yeah. I don't know if I would say don't do business with friends. I think the way I would phrase it is be careful doing business with friends because it'll either strengthen the friendship or ruin the friendship. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're totally right. Um, and I also think, again, knowing a little bit about your situation, um, I don't think it was the friendship. The friendship was not the factor, right? But what what might have happened, I think, you know, what might have happened is that we overlook things in yeah. our friends that we might, you know, hold a stranger accountable to or someone we didn't have that friendship with, right? Like you don't want, there, there are things that we maybe don't say to our friends because we don't want to rock the boat. Right? Sure. Context um, given, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I think there's that. And then I, and then I also think there's, um, you know, it's like I said, it's the having the conversation up front, but you know, that's something that I do with everybody. Right. I, so I started a rule um, when we started working with clients, you know, I, it, was, it was probably five, six years ago. Like I started a rule that whenever whenever we start a new client, we have to have a conversation with them, you know, 30 minutes just to talk about how we want this relationship to work. Mm. So it has nothing to do with the work we're doing, but it's everything about it's everything about how do we communicate? How do we make decisions? How do we handle conflicts? Right. So it would go something like, um, you know, everything from like, well, tell me about how do you prefer, like, do you prefer email, text, phone call, you know, some simple stuff like that. Right. Um, do you, uh, you know, if I send you something for approval, and you know you're gonna miss the deadline like should i go ahead with it and just send you a, a a heads up to say hey we didn't get your approval so we're gonna move forward with this anyway otherwise we missed the deadline and etc or do you want me to wait at all costs and sometimes they might say well it depends on the situation okay fine so then here's what we're gonna do right is we'll notify you and blah 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 right or um you know, like, hey, uh, I'm going to send you, you know, this thing for approval, a website, right, for approval. Um, in order for this to happen smoothly, I need you to get back to me with, uh, with notes that, meaning, like, if you need to go show it to five people on your side, do like, it now. You, you go do that first and then come back and, you know, you decipher who's, opinion to take and who's to drop or whatever. And right. simply like, hey, if you want to do it the other way, what's going to happen is we're going to have a bunch of rounds of changes. It's going to cost extra. It's going to it's going to take longer. Right. And so we're giving and and then they can say, well, no, that doesn't work for me because blah, blah, blah. And we can figure it out. Right. You know what I mean? And so right. I knowing that it's going to come with extra time and extra costs and whatever else. Absolutely. Right. And um, and uh so so anyway you know we have a we have a kind of a checklist that we've developed to things that we walk through with people mm -hmm. and doesn't cover everything but it but what it does is one is it sets us up for having you know walk through some scenarios to kind of figure out in advance what the contingencies might be it also i think communicates to them a sense that we're taking their satisfaction and the relationship really seriously and that we're, um, you know, we're, we're trying our best to meet their needs in a way that strengthens our relationship. Right. And so that has a tremendous effect. Right. Um, I think talking through how you're going to handle things like conflict and some of that other stuff, like being able to have that level of transparency up front almost leads yeah quick, like a quicker development of that trust that you were saying you need to do good business, you know, because it's like, I trust this person more if they talk through what's going to happen if there's conflict with me, you know, because it so, shows you're interested in 
preemptively trying to work through any conflict that might come up. So here's one, right? It's like, you're the client, I'm the whatever, whether it's a manager or right. whatever, right? Like, um, let's assume that we're not always going to agree on everything. Okay. Um, how should we handle that? Do you want me to tell you when I think you're making a decision that's going to have a negative impact on your business? Or yes. do you want me to say you're the client and you're just right and like we let it go? So, you know, ask anyone that. I think, you know, 99% of people are going to say, no, I would want to know, right? Right. And then, <laughs> right? And then when it comes up, you go, hey, remember that time you said you wanted me to tell you if I thought you were making a mistake? Well, here's this one. Is that. Right. This is that. And you don't have to agree with me, right? But this is my professional opinion and, and I'm giving you, right? And so, like, my point is you can have, you can tackle really big conflicts in that way mm -hmm. and not damage the relationship and actually strengthen the relationship. Um, and certainly in, in creative relationships, you know, manager, client, artist, label, you know, those kind of relationships, like conflicts are, can, are sometimes disastrous, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, when I used to manage artists and they're like, oh, the label, you know, label doesn't like the single or whatever, like, the, you know, those are, those are huge, you know, sometimes career changing issues that come up, right? Or they, they can have they can have damage that lasts for years. And I think so much of that is not setting the stage correctly, you know, from the beginning. And so there's a huge opportunity there. And so you you can you can give yourselves permission to disagree over just about everything. And to say, you know, that doesn't make one of us right and the other wrong. It doesn't make one of us smarter and the other dumber. Um, but it means that we can both be more successful if we learn how to, you know, hear from somebody that has a different viewpoint. Right. And no one wants to, no one wants to like go against something they've already kind of given a verbal commitment to. So if you kind of agree, this is how we're going to handle the conflict and then it happens and you bring it up, it's hard. It's much harder to get upset. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you want to feel upset, it's like, well, I did say that. <laughs> Yeah, or or you go look, you know, hey, you're you're not gonna like this, right? Like, I, right? I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna. I've said you're gonna kill me for what I'm about to say, <laughs> but we both agreed. Like, but I feel it. Forget about what we agreed on. I feel it's my duty, mm -hmm. right? And you can take my advice or not. Like, it's you know whatever. That's a different issue. But I'm not doing but, my job unless I bring it up. 100%. Right. And so, so I, you know, I think, um, I think it's, you know, these are, these are things again. And when I was young, you know, and didn't have some of this experience, those things tripped me up in big ways. And I ended up um, either in conflict or more often I was like afraid of conflict. So I would avoid some of that stuff. Right. And, uh, and then I saw those things come, come to pass and come to bite me, you know, down the road or whatever, and wished I'd spoken my mind. So, you know, again, that was part of me figuring out a way to do that in a way that was comfortable to me. Mm. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I that's good. Up into conflict, feeling like it's going to be the best way to resolve things. Not because I love conflict, but because sure. I like usually confronting things head on is generally the best policy, even if it causes like tension. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's definitely not. <laughs> well, I mean, look, in I would say in general, it is. In general, it's still better to have it out um, than to leave things unsaid. But I think there are there are ways to do that um, less painfully. Mm, yeah. I, I come in too hot. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yo, if you like this one, uh, if you're enjoying me running my mouth, you can go back into rebel radio archives, check out a couple of our other reverse interviews. I had Dennis white, 
my good friend Latroit, uh, who's been on the show multiple times. One of them, I think it was our, I want to say it was our two-year anniversary episode. Uh, he interviewed me talking about my history in the music business and kind of uh, some, some high points, maybe low points in my career path, if that's of interest. And then uh, Milana Weintrub, the lovely actress, comedian, activist, came on my show. She didn't want to answer my questions. She flipped it on me and asked me a bunch of questions. And we had a fun hour uh, with me just mouthing off. So maybe you'll like that one. Who knows? Let me know what you think. Um, all right. I got two more questions for you. Okay, um, cool. First is, and this is something that I... I can personally admit that I've I've had this uh, false belief for a long time, but yeah. you mentioned that sales isn't a leadership strategy. Um, and for a long time, my understanding of leadership was by doing better than everyone else, doing the most work of anyone on the team, or selling the most whatever. Or like I thought, sure. I always felt like as a leader, I should be measured by the same kind of KPIs or metrics that my employees should, right? And in some ways, maybe that's true. And in some mm -hmm. ways, maybe bring like having a being the main source of like revenue pipeline is 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 leadership to some extent. But can you go into a little bit more about like why sales isn't leadership? Because I, I obviously completely agree. And that was something that I've had to learn. But I'd love to hear kind of how when when you realize that and why. So it's I wouldn't say that sales is not leadership. I think in some ways it is meaning that uh you know being a leader is selling and selling people on your vision sure right and and if you so if you can't clearly articulate your vision and what you're trying to achieve and what you want from people then you can't sell or lead right so so that so i think um sales in a slightly different sense though well but but what i mean is so what what i had said earlier is um that you that your the business would be fine if you just sell enough right that you can kind of sell your way out of a, of a bad situation i mean that's you can if if the situation right. is not enough sales then right. sure you sell your way into a horrible situation <laughs> right absolutely and so that's that's the point right is is um is that like What, what matters is most relationships pay off over the long term, mm -hmm. right? And that's true whether you're signing an artist, whether you're working for a brand, whatever, right? That the relationships that last five, 10, 20 years, whatever the, whatever the length of time is, right? Um, is where all the benefits are, most, most of the benefits. Sure. Um, and so that has little to do with the initial quote unquote sale, right? And, so, and it has everything to do with how the business runs once you're in business together. Right. Right. And so when, you know, in the times when I've been able to renew a client four, five, six years in a row, right? And do, uh, do a tremendous amount of business with them, um, that's, that's not because of my sales pitch that I made six years earlier. It's because of everything that we did together along the way and how, how the business ran and adapted to their needs. Right. Once we're in business together. Right. And so that's kind of my point. Um, and so, so you can't have, so we've, we've seen a lot of companies that are, uh, you know, they're a mess under the hood, but they look cool from the outside. And so they get a ton of, ton of business right right um, a very enigmatic leader yeah sure um and so i'm not saying like the enigmatic leader can be really important that's i'm not discounting that um but usually what happens if you have that situation is like this great external leader internally it's a mess usually the company has you know three years of increasing sales followed by collapse right because it's a house of cards that collapses under its own weight, right? Right. Um, and you know, especially in my business, where 
you know, an agency business, typically if you land a client, um, certainly at the, you know, the bigger agencies, right. You land a client, that means you're hiring, you know, for the big ad agencies that, yeah, you're staffing up. Right. So, and, and if you're a big ad agency, you're staffing up 40 to 200 people. Right. For this one account. Right. Um, and so if the infrastructure underneath that isn't solid, then that's just more pressure right. that causes things to collapse even faster. Or if you lose the client, then you have this huge budget that you have to slash. And Absolutely. Right. So, um, so I think that the learning for me was that those things are both important and that they're, um, that, you, you know, that you, you can't have one without the other. Um, and, and I think that, and, and what I learned is that the work was figuring out both of those at the same time, because mm-hmm. you also don't have, you know, you don't, you know, you can't go hire a hundred people and get them all, you know, trained and working perfectly in sync together and then go find a client, right? Like a, a, you can't afford that because uh, who's going to pay those people? And B, um, you, you have to have a client for them to work on, right? So, um, so it's those things have to happen real time, right? You have to build the systems and develop, get people to work together well while you're selling and satisfying the needs of your clients. Right. And that's, uh, that's what makes the job interesting. Got it. All right. I have I have one more question for you. All right. Um, actually, two. One one normal question and one rapid rapid question. <laughs> uh, so, um, if you had to come up with three words that define leadership or your leadership strategy, what would they be? Um, transparency. Creativity. and um, empathy. Mm. Interesting. Okay. And then the last one, uh, and this one you can use in like some of your sizzle reels or something. What does it mean to be a rebel? Oh, shit. Um, It means that there's always a better way. that um you know whatever most people are doing or thinking is can probably be uh can can be improved on um And it means that the how can I say it? Uh, this is not rapid fire. Um, <laughs> Your musket got damned. <laughs> you know, it means going out into the world for the answers. Mm. Awesome. That was oh, fun, man. man. You, you, uh, you did that really well off the top of your head. Thank you. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, that was great. Uh, I got to jump. but uh, Yeah, that was dope, man. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Good Thank fun. you. Yeah, that was Ethan Bear on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Let us know what you think. I'd love to know your thoughts about leadership, about rebellion, about entrepreneurship, about blah, 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 blah. Whatever you want to tell me, I'll pretend like I'm listening. You can hit me on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. You can hit me on Facebook at Rebel Radio Net. You can come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. 
most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.